So, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, in this, our evening sermon series, we are hearing from God's Word and, and trying to think rightly about the way we worship. That's the overall title of this series, The Way We Worship. Uh, and the key word here is think. We want to think. This is what God wants us to do, to think about what we're doing. Uh, not just going through the motions, as we say. Uh, not just doing what we always do as we worship God, but thinking and, and, and being intentional and deliberate about what we are doing as we worship God each Lord's Day. And so I am thinking, see what I did there? Uh, I am thinking that uh, tonight it might uh, work for an introduction to try a, a kind of mental exercise or maybe experiment. Um, Let's pretend, let's pretend that in one moment, for some first part of our lives, uh, we had no idea who God is and had never drawn near to worship Him. Then God came to us, and by knowing Him, we were moved to worship Him. So think uh, about this scenario with me uh, if, if we had never worshipped God before because we did not know Him, but then came to know Him and really did know who and what He is, how would we worship Him? What things would we do as we approached Him to worship Him? It's a, it's a mental exercise, and yet it frames what we are doing here. We speak of the regulative principle of worship, that by way of the second commandment, we are not truly worshiping God unless we are worshiping Him according to His command. God not only commands us to worship Him, but to worship Him only as He commands so we look for instruction in God's Word. We, we see in the Old Testament that, uh, that God commanded that He be worshipped only in the specific location that He determined at the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, he commanded that animals be sacrificed to worship Him. He commanded that a priest be the only one who approached Him directly, one man representing the whole people. But then we read in the New Testament that, that these things, these ways of worshiping God, the, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, these were only a, a prophecy, a, a way of prefiguring who Christ is as He came to be our Savior. So now what? The, the specific commands of the Old Testament on how to worship God are, in a sense, no longer literal. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to use a physical temple. Uh, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. Uh, we don't have to bring a bull, a, a lamb, uh, or a goat to kill at church. Please don't bring your livestock to church. Um, and we don't need anyone to serve as a priest. And it is because Christ is our Jerusalem. Christ is our temple. Christ is our sacrifice. Christ is our eternal high priest. But now what? 
it, it makes sense that we would look first not only to the Old Testament, but to the practice of the church in the New Testament. But the thing to consider is the same thing that, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, the early church considered. What had they come to know of God as revealed through Christ? What, what knowledge of God prompted them to worship in the way that they did? What knowledge of God guided and instructed them in their worship of God? Well, it was the same knowledge of God that guided and instructed them in their worship of God that must guide and instruct us in our worship of God. So yes, we we look for specific commands. Let me go through some of them. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2 says, preach the word. And so we preach the word as we worship God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And so we take an offering. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. And so we go to prayer often within the worship service. And Ephesians 5, verse 19, gives the command of God to be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with, uh, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and making melody to, to the Lord with your heart. A specific and explicit command from God to sing. And so we sing to God in our worship service. But how then do we order the service? The service includes preaching, prayer, the sacraments, offerings, and singing to God all according to the explicit commands of God. But in what order? The point is to see that that some aspects of worship may not be specifically commanded, but are discerned by the very character of God. We do not have a specific explicit command to begin each worship service with a call to worship. But theologically... It makes sense that we do so. We do not have an explicit command in Scripture to answer God's call to worship, first with our calling upon His name, the prayer of invocation. But but theologically, from what we know of God and our relationship to Him, it makes good sense theologically to do so. In other words, the point is not that we just follow commands and the letter of the law, so to speak. Instead, we are worshiping God according to the knowledge of Him that He Himself has given us in Christ. Another way to understand the way we worship is to, is to see a certain flow of logic. First of all, there is God. Think about, uh, think about the theology of that. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. So, of course, we start with God. There, there is a God. He made us, and uh, He has made Himself known to us. Therefore, knowing Him in, in all His beauty, we worship Him. 
And we have his commands, his, his own prescription, if you will, for how to worship him. But are these just random commands from God? No, his, his commands for how he is to be worshipped flow out of his character. So that not only his specific commands, but also the full revelation of his character in Scripture guide and determine the way we worship him. So tonight, let's consider the fact that we worship God even as we sing. Human beings are really, I'm not a scientist, but I'm going to make a case for this. Human beings are really the only creatures that God has made that sing. The the poets might write of the the song of the birds in the trees, or the, or the song of the wolves howling in the wilderness, or the song of the whales communicating with each other in their migrations. But that's only because the sound they make has some approximate similarity to human singing. Other than human beings, God's creatures don't really sing so much as they just communicate in a certain way. And, and the way they talk approximates human singing. The point I'm trying to make is that human singing is the, the epitome. It is, it is the zenith. It is, it, it is the, the high point among God's creation. But the fact that humans can go from speaking to singing is a significant thing. And the purpose of this, the purpose of this ability that we have is tied in Scripture to the worship of God. Not that, not that husbands can't sing love songs to their wives. Uh, not that we can't sing happy birthday to someone having a birthday. Uh, not that we can't sing in the shower. But our ability to sing finds its greatest use and purpose in our worship of God. And this by way of his own prescription for how he is to be worshipped. So here's a point of continuity between Old Testament and New. We've already pointed out that there is much discontinuity as we move from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant in Christ's blood. Christ's blood changes much. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't need a physical building. Uh, We don't bring animal sacrifices. We don't ordain priests and look to them to lead our worship. But even with such discontinuity, there is much that does continue. First, what continues is the substance, the meaning, such pa- of su- the meaning of such practices in worship. We don't need to go to Jerusalem because we are now Jerusalem. Uh, we don't worship at a physical temple because we are the temple of the living God indwelt by the Spirit of God. We don't bring animal sacrifice, but we too must worship God by sacrifice on the basis of Christ, once for all sacrifice 
on the cross. And we have the Word and we have the Lord's Supper to bring this sacrifice to bear upon our hearts and minds as we worship God uh, each Lord's Day. So discontinuity and continuity. Things that continue and things that are discontinued. And there are other things that continue, not because they're fulfilled uh, uh, in Christ, and one such thing is how God's people are called to sing. To sing to the Lord as they worship Him. We see it much in the, in the book of Psalms. In fact, as, as we know, as Reformed Presbyterians, the book of Psalms is the book of songs. Yes, we can read them and, and we should read them. I hope you are given to read the Psalms. But the psalms are songs, songs to be sung. There was a day, not so very long ago, when the church knew this and and practiced it. You didn't have to be Reformed Presbyterian to sing the psalms. Nearly all the church, every denomination, once sang the psalms. And the church did so by way of understanding what Paul was teaching even instructing in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, where he writes, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Well, there is much here for our instruction specifically for our instruction in how to worship God. First, be filled with the Spirit. What can it mean, and and how can we decide to be filled with the Spirit? It reminds me of when Jesus, our Lord, said to his disciples, Abide in me. How do you do that? Uh, The disciples must have been perplexed. On, On one hand, Jesus was telling them that he was going away. No, don't, don't do that, Jesus. Please, don't go away, was their response. But Jesus said, it is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus was not speaking of catching the five o'clock train out of town. He would go away by his suffering by way of his cross, by way of his resurrection, and by way of his ascension. Only then, and only by that ministry, would the Holy Spirit come. But when the Holy Spirit had come, then the church was told, be filled with the Spirit. It's really the same command or the same call as abide in me. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, the Apostle Paul makes it clear here. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And given the fact that Fanny Crosby and John Newton were not around when Paul wrote these words, we understand that he was talking about the psalms. 
Yes, he calls for psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to be sung in the church's worship of God. But as far as we can tell, there were no other songs to be sung at that time except for the psalms. So maybe Paul was writing this instruction for the future church when there would be other songs to sing other than the psalms of the Bible. But that seems unlikely. In fact, it sounds quite absurd. So what was Paul referring to? He was referring to the whole book of Psalms, to the different types of Psalms that are found in what we call the Psalter. This goes back to the, to the last series of sermons that we did uh, in the second service, uh, visiting or revisiting a, a number of different psalms, which, which really is our obligation as we sing the psalms. We noted then, as we can review now, that, that not all psalms are psalms of praise. There are psalms, there are hymns, and there are spiritual songs within Psalter. The word psalms is probably the, the most general term, which we can gather from the fact that the entire book is called the Psalms of David. But within the Psalms, there are hymns, which would mean psalms of praise, psalms that specifically declare who God is as revealed by what He has done. That's what it means to praise God, just as, just as you praise your kids by telling them or maybe telling somebody else what they did that is praiseworthy. But there are also songs, songs by which we reflect, meditate, confess our sin, confess our faith, songs even to long for God's justice and judgment upon His enemies and ours. So here's the prescription from God for how we are to worship Him by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's even a good argument that in the Greek, the adjective spiritual actually modifies not just the word songs, but the words psalms and hymns as well. So, so we could hear it this, this way, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in spiritual psalms, hymns, and songs. And that would fit with the call to be filled with the Spirit. After all, how do, how do we do that? What does that mean? How can we decide to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the answer is by singing the songs that the Spirit has inspired, the songs that the Spirit has ordained, the songs that God, by His Spirit, has placed within his word for us to sing. But next we have the power of singing. And here's the surprising power of singing in our worship of God, that its purpose and, and power is to address one another. Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with or addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
Are we singing to God as we worship Him? Well, yes. And we are told that God is pleased when we worship Him rightly. But the effect that Paul identifies, and even the reason why he calls for singing in our worship of God, is for its effect upon us. Perhaps you know that Paul's letter to the Ephesians runs parallel to his letter to the Colossians. And when we read the same passage in Colossians, Paul's meaning and instruction becomes all the more clear. Colossians 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we sing to the Lord, the purpose is teaching. We are teaching, even admonishing each other when we sing to the Lord. Isn't that remarkable? That at the very time when we are thinking to give something to God, to do something for God, what happens? We end up receiving the blessing. So here is something that we ought to remember, that we, that we need uh, that we need each other. We, we need each other. We need to be together in worship. By God's own design, we can even say that we are addressing one another as we sing to the Lord. Furthermore, we learn from our text what we have already been saying, that worship must be from our hearts. An order of service can be put in front of us. We can traverse that order and complete it. Um, We can follow the instruction of that order, but it must be from our hearts. Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Finally, song in and out of the church. The power of singing should not be lost on us in our day and culture. Music and song are almost everything in our day. Have you noticed this? Music itself is very much worshipped in our day, worshipped in the sense that people look for music to meet their needs, to provide them with comfort, to give them peace, to give them meaning in life. That makes music a god. And consider again, in a day not so long ago, music was more for kings and rulers. Music was for the elite. Now everyone enjoys music. If we wanted to, even all day long. And consider the the cultural and societal impact of the music of the past 50 or 60 years. I'm not an expert when it comes to music, but by the power of perception and and experience, we can see that music used to be far more instrumental. But then at some point, words were added to music. 
Certainly not for the first time in the history of the, uh, in the history of music, but at some point music began to combine both the tune and the words. And look where it has gotten us in our culture. If you have gone back and listened to the music that you listened to when you were young, your favorite songs, you you probably have had to ask the question, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I listen to such things? Music is is a powerful medium, a powerful force in our culture. Although, to put it more accurately, music is a force used by a powerful enemy. And so music is found to be in the same category, really. I I would put it to you that music is found to be in the same category as like guns and, and medicine. Things that can be used either for great good or for great evil. So let us be careful what we are listening to. And if we wouldn't want our children to sing along to such stuff, the question is, why should we listen to it? But as we recognize the the power of music, let us understand that that's why God calls us to sing in our worship of Him. And that's why God carefully regulates what we sing as we worship Him. A wise man once said that error gets sung into the church. Error gets sung into the church. So one problem with modern worship music is that, to start with, it doesn't say anything. Or it doesn't say much. It doesn't teach. It it doesn't admonish. It just generally oozes banally with saccharin and sugar. The bad thing is the missed opportunity to sing God's songs, to sing good theology, and to rejoice by singing the deep truths of God's Word. The good thing, I guess, the silver lining, is that the repertoire of modern music is constantly changing. Constantly changing. So that the songs don't stick around all that long to do all that much harm. So this is why we sing. This is why we sing the Psalms. This is why we sing God's Word back to Him. And some of this comes by the explicit instruction of God's Word on how He would have us worship Him. Some of it comes by good and necessary consequence. What a joy it should be for us to sing songs that God Himself has written. And what joy for us to sing songs that we know the church has been singing even for thousands of years. What joy for us to sing about our God, about how He has made us His people in Christ and how we can fully trust Him day by day. Let us not sing just because the preacher says, and now let us sing Psalm 104E. 
I'm going I'm to say that in just a second. So I'm going to end this way. Let us not sing because the preacher says, and now let us sing Psalm 104e. Let us sing because God commands it. Because God has provided the song. And because his blessing comes by it. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, for giving us clear instruction in your word on how we are to worship you. Thank you that we get to, not that we have to, but we get to sing in our worship of you. And we get to sing your praises and be reminded in song what a great God you are and that you are our God and that you have done all things for us in Jesus Christ. O Lord, uh, give us intentionality and uh, a deliberate purpose as we take up our psalters each Lord's Day to sing to you our praises, our prayers, our meditations, our confessions of sin, and our confessions of faith. And, O Lord, receive our worship for the sake of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.